Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Strip by Sia, your podcast for strippers, sex workers, and all the fancy naked people in between. I am your host, Steph Sia, aka Kimchi on stage. I am a dancer, content creator here uh, based in Vancouver, Canada. And this week is going to be a bonus episode. I recently guest lectured last week at Florida State University. And if you have heard of my other lectures there at Florida State, um, this one's a little bit different. I included um, some current issues that us sex workers are going through, including going over briefly the OnlyFans scandal, um, unionization, some things that are kind of going on in terms of like employee versus independent contracting, in North America um, and some other things in terms of like my regular lectures. So um, taking a break this week. So I hope you guys enjoy this episode and it'll be back to regular scheduled programming the week after. And that's pretty much it. And I apologize in advance. Um, This is the first in-person class um, that I have had to zoom over. So the sound is a little bit um, faded. Uh, it's a little bit far when you hear um, Alicia, who is the professor there and whose class I was guest lecturing in. So, and if you don't hear the students talking, it's because I couldn't hear them either. So she had to relay the questions uh, back to me. So without further ado, here is my recent guest lecture at Florida State University. Okay. Hi. Hello. I'm just going to put this on full screen. So just bear with me here. Okay. Wow. Hello, everyone. <laughs> this is a little bit different. I um, I forgot that in-person classes were happening already, so that's really neat. <laughs> thank you so much, Alicia, for having me again, and thank you to Florida State um, for having me once again to speak about sex work. Uh, we have an hour and a bit, but I'm going to try to condense it all within the hour, um, just leaving some room in case we have any questions and whatnot. Um, I know there's a lot to go through, so I'm going to do my best in trying to tackle all the questions and issues that uh, we as sex workers face and any uh, questions, hopefully I can answer it to the best of my ability. Um, yeah, if you wanted to have some questions and type them into the chat box, I can do my best to try to address them at the very end of class or Alicia, if you could help facilitate any questions uh, if they come up. Uh, this is a different format than usual, so <laughs> we're gonna try to tackle everything um, over the next hour and a bit. So I guess I'll get started with the presentation. This is very interesting um, and also I'm glad that you have a class on this as well. It's so progressive. So yay, thank you for allowing us to have some space. So my presentation is all about stripping down the sex industry and a little bit about me. You're probably wondering who am I? And um, I'm Steph Siam. That's my name. I also go by the name Kimchi on stage because I am also a stripper. I'm also a digital content creator here based in Vancouver, Canada. And I was also a former sugar baby as well in my past life. And in my vanilla life and my vanilla job, I am also a digital marketer and a communications specialist. I work with a sexual health company and other uh, um, companies around the lower mainland in Vancouver. 
working on um, like newsletters and um, social media and fun stuff. So that's my day day kind of job. And I'm also the host of the Strip by Sia podcast, which is where I interview different sex workers or different aspects of the sex industry to really provide a holistic approach to sex work and the sex industry and to share real lived experiences of sex workers to with a name basically to help destigmatize sex work and hopefully you find industry find it interesting um i have new episodes every single sunday and yeah we've done three three seasons now your professor alicia has also been on the show as well so be sure to listen to that episode it's very interesting (laughs) and that's just a little bit about me in a nutshell i'm going to go into more detail in terms of my story kind of how i started in sex work what I've learned over the past almost eight years or so being a sex worker and what we are working on in terms of issues that we're facing. Sorry, Alicia, did you say something there? No, no, you're good. Okay, perfect. I thought I I heard a squeak, so. (laughs) So that's just me in a nutshell. Um, Basically, my podcast, as I mentioned, um, it was something, it was a passion project that started almost oh yeah over two years ago now uh when i was working at the club and one of my customers mentioned to me and i thought it was really interesting uh, he mentioned that oh like strippers they have such fascinating lives you know a lot of them at least here in vancouver are influencers who have all these fabulous lives and so many different uh stories to share and i thought that statement really rung true to me and I thought this is really interesting like you you have something here and I just kind of let that marinate it a bit and then two weeks later I started my podcast <laughs> I had a lot of um contacts of course here in Vancouver and a lot of people uh spanning across the industry so I thought it would be a really good opportunity to really showcase different stories and also real stories um that show like the reality of what our lives are instead of just what you see in the movie like Hustlers or like TV shows or how the media depicts us sex workers to be. So I thought it would be a really great learning opportunity and also educational opportunity for those who are maybe not in the industry and who are not familiar with sex work. And I thought it would be a good and a great way to kind of um, diminish some stereotypes and try to destigmatize the work that we do because the work that we do is highly stigmatized. So um, basically, I've been doing it for the past couple of years. First season was really just, I didn't know really what I was doing. I didn't know how long I would be doing the show for. Season two had more of an advocacy um, approach and it's, it was very political. We go into different um, policies, um, both here in Canada, but also a lot in North America, uh, especially the USA, since uh, a lot of my listeners are based in the USA. And then season three is just kind of blurring the lines between what is defined as sex work um, and different avenues and niches that we go down. And then season four is a big question mark. So we'll see in terms of like what I'll be focusing on in that season. But um, it's been a blast so far and I'm really surprised at how how I've connected with so many people and how many stories I've got to 
to share and the pleasure of sharing those stories. So it's it's been a wild ride. So that's just a little bit about me. You can find it on any podcast platform if you're interested. Feel free to take a listen and rate it five stars <laughs> and write a review. Okay, so let's keep going here. This is, um, let me see. So I know with all of the, of the other classes I've lectured in as well, whether they're here at Florida State or also at universities here in Canada, a lot of people have been really interested in hearing my story about, oh, how did you get involved with sex work? What was your first foray into sex work? Um, just because there's so many different forms of sex work out there as well, right? So basically, I first started in sex work and I didn't really realize it was sex work at the time. Um, basically, I went through a big breakup back in 2013 and my roommate at the time told me about a website called Seeking Arrangement. And this is at the time when like Tinder was blowing up and the apps were blowing up and there was a lot of different dating platforms and stuff. And Seeking Arrangement was a pretty, and still is a pretty big website for matching sugar babies so usually college-aged usually women with affluential typically men and basically i was treating it like a dating website i was like okay i'll go out to some dinners i'll get paid for this stuff really ignoring the whole aspect of like the whole sex work aspect of it and for me, I was in complete denial of what this work was. I didn't consider it as work. I didn't, I was kind of in denial about the sex aspect of it because I was like, okay, I'm just going to go out uh, with these older gentlemen and get paid for my time. Um, and it was really a struggle because I was obviously <laughs> trying to go through this breakup and also just trying to keep things together, but also I was wanting a distraction at the time. And I was sugaring for a few years. Um, it's a very emotionally draining aspect of sex work, I would say, um, that a lot of younger women tend to go into. Um, to one, pay off their bills, to two, pay for school, to buy things, you know, to have money. Cause like as students, and as you might know, you can maybe relate to this too. School's expensive, living expenses are expensive. I live in Vancouver, Canada, and it's one of the most expensive cities in the world. So to me, the money factor was especially appealing to me and having that lifestyle. And I was so attracted to that lifestyle of like, okay, I can go to all these places. I don't have to pay for anything. I just have to spend my time, you know, in exchange. Um, and also my body with these men. And I, I really enjoyed it. I, it was a lot of fun. I just feel like I came into sex work and sugaring at an older age where I feel like most most individuals would go into it, say like first year of college. I was 25 when I went into it. So I feel like I had a little bit more life experience, which I think was helpful. But even still, as you were hearing my story, still really naive <laughs> going into sex work. So, and again, not really realizing or understanding or accepting that it was sex work. So 
few years of that, I stopped doing that. And then I started pole dancing at a local studio for fitness, for fun. It was across the studio. I was across the street from an office I was working at at the time. And in preparation for a competition, I tried Amateur Night, which is uh, a contest that usually happens um, when agencies or clubs are looking for new dancers. The point of this Amateur Night is to offer, you know, potentials a job as a stripper. So for me, again, there was this naivete thinking that oh yeah is this a fully nude thing like I was really unsure about it before and then I just kind of went for it and then started working at the strip club a couple years after that so even though I had won a couple amateur nights I still had this hesitancy and I just really wanted to create some space between you know me as a pole dancer and me as a stripper. I didn't really want to label myself as a stripper um, because of the stigmatization that comes with it. So there was like a lot of, like a, a lot of internal battle, I would say, that, that came with that. And then again, as I mentioned, two years after that, I started stripping and that was really a lot of fun. It was really a learning moment. I'm still a stripper to this day but I still feel like I'm a baby stripper in so many ways. <laughs> but it has been um, a fun journey. I've learned a lot over the past couple of years and I've met so many great people who have been on the show, which I've been able to share their stories and whatnot. Um, but then, as you know, COVID-19 happened last year. It's still happening, but things are still starting to reopen again, which is really nice. Um, and basically, I started um, being a... Being a digital content creator, so having an OnlyFans page, making custom videos and content um, about two years ago as well, around the same time that I started the podcast. And then that is still going to this day. And it's something that I, I'm continuing to do um, because I'm finding that to me, it's a lot safer for, my, for, for me personally and also on my own time whenever I want to kind of thing so that's kind of my aspect of where I am with sex work in terms of like how I got started you know where I'm coming and my, my learnings and understanding of what the work is so hopefully that makes a little bit of sense but yeah there's three different phases there okay so I wanted to kind of ask everyone and I'm not sure how this is going to work because again the <laughs> class is in person but I know there's a couple of people that are here uh remotely as well but I wanted to ask the audience um how do you define sex work and I'm not sure if Alicia if you want to ask around in your class and share some responses if people are not shy feel free to go ahead so I don't know if she can hear you if you all respond to that so let's try. How do you define sex work? It's an experiment step. Okay, I can, can hear you guys. I can hear you. Okay, okay, good. So y'all, we just talked about sex work and give examples. How do you define it? Wait, what? <laughs> I'm hearing some laughter. Alicia, can, can you repeat what they say? Because I can't hear them, but I can hear you. Yes, yes, I totally will. 
Yes. Okay, so one definition we have is when you're receiving compensation for doing any kind of sexual activity. Yes. Mm -hmm. Anything else? It's more than just sexual activity. Yeah. Yes. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. So what's your definition, Steph? Yeah. So my definition over the years has evolved, but this is the definition that I've come up with so far. So a type of sexualized service in exchange for a monetary value, affluence, status, or power. And... I know that a lot of people might think that it's just sex for money, but there's so many different ways that you can have payment, um, whether that's trips or, uh, again, getting your rent paid for, or if it's an exchange for some kind of investment opportunity. There's so many different ways that you can kind of define this. So this, for me, encompasses what I define sex work to be, but Again, great, great definitions around the audience. Thank you so much for <laughs> for contributing to that. And I'm, I'm always curious to to hear um, people's responses and how they define it and, and how people perceive it. So thank you so much for that. But yeah, I really, I think it's always important before I kind of go deeper into things in terms of the presentation and um, just to ensure like what we are defining as sex work because as you'll see, there's going to be I mean, there are so many different types of sex work that are out there. So let's continue here. So as you know, there's cam girls, there's camming, there's stripping. As I mentioned, I was a sugar baby. There's dominatrixes, prostitutes. I don't like using that term personally, but full service sex workers. There's so many avenues of sex work out there. Some people would even consider uh, professional cuddling as a type of sex work as well there's so many different types of modeling involved too so it's a really 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 wide umbrella it's a wide net that encompasses a lot so i just really want to share um share this diagram here by laszlo in terms of the hierarchy and i wanted to also mention why this is important because Although there there are so many types of sex work, there is a lot of hierarchy. I want to use that in loose terms, but there's a lot of challenges and issues that, that we in our community face as well. So as you can see here in the diagram, you can see cam girls. And this is only one aspect there. I think there are six types of the hierarchy, depending on which author you're looking at. But this is just one aspect of it. Um, but as you can see, for this particular triangle, cam girls are here at the top. We have strippers, sugar babies, dominatrixes. Sometimes dominatrixes are at the top. And then indoor and outdoor prostitutes are like commercial sex workers. I really wanted to point this out because um, within our community, some of the issues that we face is that certain sex workers are not as inclusive. So, for example, cam girls or, or strippers can be seen at the top of the pyramid because we don't actually engage in any um, sexual penetration or any type. Of, we don't offer those type of services. And sometimes 
people in our community will think that basically they're better than those who engage in full service work or they're better than street level workers as well. But again, this is all like that type of behavior is really problematic for a community. Um, we really try to support every kind of sex work that there is because we need as much support as we can get. We already have basically society not accepting us and it's, it really is a problematic thing. So that's one thing I wanted to bring up. And as we go into the presentation later on, I'll kind of discuss in more detail different buckets um, of issues that we're currently facing and some recent issues that I haven't discussed in some of the other classes. So yeah, that's something that is kind of um, a keynote to kind of look at or maybe even look on in your own time too for the different types of hierarchy. But again, another problematic thing that's happening within our community. Um, I know that a lot of people are always interested in hearing about the safety aspect, um, setting boundaries, how you do that. Um, that's usually a big topic, so I really wanted to go ahead and address that because, as you know, sex work is often glamorized and sensationalized in the media, on TikTok. You know, there's so many people posting how much money they make in the club and, and different techniques that they use and whatnot. And that's really great. And maybe that's a reality for some people, but that's not the reality for so many other people as well. And I feel a lot of people can be really um, attracted to the money aspect or the notion that it's quote unquote easy money. And you'll often hear jokes like, oh, if I lose my job, like in the pandemic, if I lose my job, I'll just, I'll just, you know, become a stripper. And you, we, like we hear jokes like that all the time. It's, it's kind of old, but it happens. It happens a lot. So, but it's not easy money. And a lot of the times I feel like non-sex workers, non-sex workers often forget the, the work aspect. And that's kind of why I had the work <laughs> word here in bold because it is, it is a job and it is a legitimized profession, although not recognized in so many, so many different countries as non-legitimized. So I wanted to really stress, um, and in case anyone was interested in, in, um, dabbling in any types of sex work, sex work, that it is a job. You are, you're basically responsible for like running your own business and that's kind of how you want to see it as. So anything to do with the marketing, getting your promotional materials, your photos, building your own website, making your own rates, um, all that stuff is, is really important and I feel like a lot of people forget about that. Um, for example, like during the COVID pandemic, we had a lot of people, there was a lot of influx of uh, people that were joining OnlyFans and then people falling off the bandwagon because they realized, oh, I actually have to put some effort into this and like, how do you find potential people and subscribers and stuff too? So even something as simple as that, people tend to forget that there is a work aspect of it. So I really, really want to stress that, that out too and also... Because I've been in sex work for so long, I mean, it's been, yeah, eight years or so, 
there weren't as many resources back then. <laughs> and that's why I feel like with my, my, my show and just talking to people and even just classes like this, I'm still constantly learning better methods out there, better ways to protect yourselves, great resources that are available. So I really wanted to stress how important it is to to really do some thorough research. Um, there's so many different like Reddit threads. There's lots of Facebook groups, Discord groups, blogs, Instagram, Instaguides. Like there's so many resources out there, but it's great to do like a quite a bit of research to make sure you know what you're getting yourself into and, and make sure making sure that you're talking to real sex workers too as well, just to give you a really in-depth approach to a world that you might not really know much about. So I really encourage people to ask questions as in this class. If you have some questions, feel free to type in the chat box or we can relay it to Alicia and we can answer them at the end and whatnot. But um, in terms of safety, in terms of boundaries, boundaries I always find it is the hardest part in, in setting your boundaries right away. When I was a sugar baby, I I don't think I really had any boundaries. I just thought, okay, if I offer more, then I will get more money and that will get me further and whatnot. But I did so many things that I wasn't really okay with and things looking back now, I would probably never do or consent to. So it's really important that you set those boundaries kind of right away. And also, even before you get into sex work, before you even start, like, you should really acknowledge scenarios. Like, if you were to be outed or doxxed by somebody, if someone were to find your photos online, if someone were to find your OnlyFans account, would you be okay with that? And how would you how would you deal with that? Um, because I know it's a lot of times people want to kind of keep a degree of anonymity, which is also important, um, and keep your privacy as well. But there's always that that chance, that percentage that maybe your photos might get leaked or it might be shared on a pornographic website. Those are all things that you would really need to consider before ever stepping foot in this kind of industry. So just make sure you do your research. Um, in terms of like full service work, always screen your clients. Um, if you have the means to do that, um, I know with background checks, they often cost money, but even doing some simple Google searches, if, if you are part of any blacklist groups, you can kind of see, um, if there are any clients that have had problematic, um, experiences with other workers as well. Um, it's really important to try to protect yourself, even with your regulars too. You could know someone for so long, but they can always turn the other way at some point. So it's always good to kind of keep your guard up in that kind of sense. Um, even something simple, if you're doing digital or online work, um, people might think that's just as safe or the safest option, but it's really important because you still have to scrub your data off of your photos, your media. Um, there's often, like with iPhones, there's always kind of geographic location turned on. So you want to be able to turn that off, scrub that off, because in the case of stalkers, which is another thing that can happen, 
I mean, you want to be able to protect yourself, protect your, your real identity as well. Um, I usually get a lot of questions from a lot of people in terms of like, oh, this person wants to buy uh, my, my feet pics or like feet videos or, and stuff like that. Or this person's asking me to be like, they want me to be um, their sugar baby. They message me on Instagram or they message me on TikTok or something. And oftentimes those are going to be scams. <laughs> it's usually a copy paste message and usually it's too good to be true, which goes into next point. Always ask for money up front first, whether you are stripping or whether you are doing some digital work online. Always ask for the money up first before you do any content for them. So just a couple tips over there. And I know I'm glazing over a lot of things right now, but I, I want to be mindful of the time because I know this is going to be, this kind of like the last hour of your class. So I, I don't want to <laughs> cut into your your own personal time as well. So do we have any questions at all? Or are we doing okay over there, Alicia? I'm checking. Yes. Mm -hmm. The question was regarding scrubbing your data. Like, how do you know how to do that? Do you hire somebody that's tech savvy to do that and help? Or how did you learn? Yeah, there's honestly, if you just Google uh, remove EXIF, E X I F data. From your phone, there are a number of different websites that can do that for you. Sometimes there's a small cost that comes with that. Um, that's probably the easiest way to do things. And it also can be a little bit time consuming as well, depending on how much content you're doing. But that's one way that you can do that. I know there's different apps that also offer that service as well. So you can do it that way. And yeah, great Thank question. You. Yeah. Anybody else have anything right now? Okay, we're good. Okay, cool. I just realized I've been just like plowing through all these slides. So I'm sorry if there were any <laughs> earlier questions. <laughs> My apologies. We're good. We're good. Awesome. So I want to kind of go into some specific, more specific issues that sex workers face as a whole. So we'll kind of go into a few things. Um, I think I have three major buckets here that I want to kind of chat about and talk about. So, and that are currently like things that we are currently facing so and i'm sure that you have all discussed or maybe you haven't yet but fossa sesta so this is something that comes up a lot within yes <laughs> lots of problems um in terms of how it affects sex workers so if you're not familiar i just left a couple notes spark notes here on uh, up on the page here so FOSTA, so Fight Online Sex Trafficking Act, and also the Stop Enabling Sex Trafficking Act. So FOSTA-SESTA, as you may or may not know, I'm not sure, Alicia, if you taught this this week or like next week, um, but I know you definitely cover this in class. Um, talked about this part yet, Steph. Oh, you have not? Okay. They might have a point of reference, but not from class. Okay, okay. Well, this is a major thing that does affect sex workers, uh, especially in the American context here where you guys are based. So, yes, this became law back in 2018 under the Trump administration. And you may have heard about this, but basically this was an effort. And this was this law was created to 
as the name suggests, stop the enabling of sex trafficking. And this was a huge thing um, that happened a few years ago and is still in effect to this day. But this caused the, differ- the, the disappearance of like personal ads on Craigslist, uh, Backpage as well. And basically, this has deeply affected and endangered sex workers' lives in terms of it lumping together consenting adults in sex work with exploited persons. So I want to just really, really stress that, that a lot of people in sex work are consenting to this work. Okay. (laughs) So the difference is with people who are trafficked, they're being trafficked and exploited against their will. They're not consenting to that. And the trouble here is that sex workers, we are consenting to the work that we want to do. This is our right. This is our chosen profession. We often, with this particular law, get lumped in with people who are trafficked. And of course, there are always instances where maybe that has happened um, for some individuals. And I'm not trying to glaze over that fact, but it, it does happen as well. But there is a lot of us it's a huge industry and that we we are affected by this. This really, really pushes sex work even further underground. So without having any places to advertise safely that rids of any ways to properly filter your clients, it also makes work hard to find or harder to find as well. And it's, it's really, really problematic. And it's something that's still going on today. Even in Canada, we don't have Boston Sesta in Canada, but we do have um, similar style bills and laws that also make it quite difficult for sex workers to exist. So, and I won't, I won't go into too much detail, but they are similar in some aspects. But we have in Canada, we have Bill C-36, which again it it is similar it uh prevents from the advertising of of sex work which again makes it really really difficult for for people to find clients or to to also filter out certain clients that are trying to pursue you that um any type of work in brothels is also deemed illegal uh living off the means of sex work Um, is also not allowed as well. So it can make even simple things like housing really unattainable or even opening up a bank account, something that's so simple and that should be accessible. um, It really restricts those kind of notions. So it's it's really tricky. Um, We also have, um, there's another law that is trying to come into effect recently in Canada that kind of mirrors FOSTA-SESTA as well um, that really, again, is aiming to stop sex trafficking. But again, it just we just get mixed up in the lot, which which is not a great thing to be in. Um, So those are just kind of like some of the larger aspects that are happening to sex workers here in North America. 
Um, there are also some equivalent laws in other countries as well, in Europe, um, also with in Asia as well, in Philippines. So, yeah, it's it's a really tricky place to be in. Um, and we, we're not seeing much progress in this area as well. So those are just one of the buckets that, and one of the issues that we face, and that's a pretty big one too because it's an actual law. So um, what else do we have? Oh, yes, this is another big one too. So anti-sex work rhetoric. Oh, sorry, were there any questions in regards to Tafasa Zesta or? Yeah, uh, yes, we do. Hang okay, on sorry. I'm going to just try to ask questions after each slide. Okay. Um, there was a question about something you said about not being able to live off of the money you make mm -hmm. with and whether that meant that you have to have another job to, um, to compensate or so I'm not, I'm not really clear. I guess, can you expand on what you meant when you said that in, in mm -hmm. yeah. relation to Boston and SESTA? Yeah. So that's actually in relation to uh, Bill C-36. So here in Canada. So that's, okay. yeah, that's not in FOSTA-SESTA, but something that we are going through here up in Canada. Um, but you can't live off the avails of sex work in Canada. So yeah, I mean, you'd have to either get another job if you can, unless sex work is your only job, then that makes it really difficult. Again, you'd have to like kind of go under the table there or find other ways to make your money because again, it's, it's, it's blocking people's ways of making money. And that again, it's just a, it's just a job. So, but here it's, it's, um, parts of, prostitution are legal and some aspects are not which makes it like a really weird gray area in the canadian context but it's interesting but also really unfortunate so hopefully that answers the question so does that mean that the income that you make in canada can't be used for like you know if you move into a place and it meets income requirements you can't that money doesn't count Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Does that answer your question? Okay. We're good. <laughs> Were there any okay. other questions there too? Or? Yes. Oh, this is a good one. What okay. do you do about health insurance? Oh, yeah. That's a great <laughs> idea. <laughs> that's a great idea. Well, here in Canada, I mean, health is free. <laughs> Healthcare is free in Canada. <laughs> Yes, but as I, as I mentioned earlier, too, with sex work, um, you're kind of treating sex work as your own business. So you're deemed as an independent contractor. So there's certain things that you can write off. There's certain things you, you can get taxed on and whatnot. So if you want to treat it that way and look at it in that approach, there's some things that you can kind of write off as well as it relates to your business. But health insurance is 
I'm not sure about in the American context. I, I, I'm not sure. Alicia, if you know, have more information on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. In regards to, like, I have my own therapy practice. And mm-hmm. um, I my accountant asks me for my medical bills, like how much insurance costs my premiums were every month, how much my medications are, for any procedures I have, stuff like that. So it goes somewhere, gets helped in my tax bill. I don't know what she does. I just give her the numbers. Um, <laughs> it sounds like there's no organizations or anything in Canada where you would you could work for to perform sex work and get health insurance, Mm-mm. like a package or anything like that, right? Not that I know of, no. But I, I do okay. want to mention um, taxes because, yes, we do pay our taxes as well because I feel like a lot of people – would think that we don't, but we are law-abiding citizens and we also pay our taxes as well. So hopefully that answers the question. (laughs) Other questions so far? Okay, we're good. Okay, let's continue. (laughs) I'm trying to be mindful of time here. Okay, only a couple more slides left, I promise. So uh, we're we're talking about anti-sex work here in different capacities and again i'm sorry if i'm kind of glazing over things but i know we have a bit of a time limit and i know it's evening over there where you are so let's get into it so i wanted to speak a little bit about censorship that sex workers face so some simple things like shadow banning and if you've never heard of the term shadow banning um that's basically when you can't post or your account gets suspended or your posts get hidden. So, for example, if you use um, some certain hashtags, um, some certain hashtags like stripping or porn or pornography, those hashtags won't show up at all or your your content just won't, won't be found. And it's really problematic <laughs> because... Um, Instagram and both Facebook because they're owned by Zuckerberg. Um, they're trying to filter out problematic content, um, including any type of sex work. So even stuff like um, hashtag camming or have hashtag stripping, those will be flagged. And also will also flag your account as well, where your account can be suspended or banned completely, which is it happens quite a bit or like your accounts will be deleted. And we're also now seeing this uh, on Twitter now, uh, which is really disappointing because Twitter used to be pretty much just open mic. <laughs> it, it was it was pretty pretty liberal on on Twitter. You can pretty much say anything. But now we're seeing accounts there starting to get shadow banned as well. So your account will be silenced, or you can't post certain things, or your account won't show up unless you type in the whole thing, your entire username. So. Those are just a few platforms where that's happening. Um, also on TikTok as well. This also affects that too. Um, another big one too, um, platforms and their terms of services. And that kind of goes along with censorship too. So I'm not sure if we heard about the OnlyFans scandal that happened in August earlier this year. I see a couple nods from the little tiny screen that I see here. <laughs> yes, yes. So the OnlyFans controversy that happened in August, um, they basically made an announcement. 
I got an email as well as everybody else saying that come October 1st, um, all sexually explicit content will no longer be allowed on the platform, which is really surprising because I'm not sure if you're familiar with OnlyFans, but the platform is based on sex work. It's based on pornographic material or explicit content. So that really shook things up <laughs> in our world. Um, we thought like, wow, this is a giant slap in the face, <laughs> which happened to us. Like you, we, like the platform was built on the back of sex workers and then now we're taking it back. And the reason for that was, uh, I think the reason was they were getting pressures from one of their partners, which was MasterCard. So the large uh, payment processing companies, um, which sex work, any type of sex work is against their terms and services. So it, we were in the dark for a few days and then OnlyFans said, oh, they'll, they'll temporarily lift or suspend that announcement and that decision. So, so far, nothing has changed there, which has been a relief, but there was quite an uproar when that happened. And if you actually read some terms and services, um, you'll see like in PayPal and Venmo, uh, MasterCard, large payment processors, um, you're not allowed to accept money if it's coming from sexually explicit content that you create or or um, other kind of pornographic material. That stuff is not allowed and it's not sex worker friendly. So in certain circumstances if you're receiving payment from say a client on paypal sometimes your account will be flagged and sometimes your account will just be banned and suspended and you won't be able to get those funds that are in your account so that's something that that definitely happens to sex workers luckily knock on wood it has not happened to me but it's really tricky um, with payment processors. A lot of them don't allow any kind of content, sexually explicit content. So it's really tricky in terms of trying to accept uh, payment, especially when those ones are so commonly used. So that's another area that we kind of have to be careful with. Um, do we have any questions about this in terms of censorship or like terms of services breaches and whatnot yeah we do we do yeah. okay. so the question is how do you PayPal and Venmo find out that that's what you're receiving money for. Mm -hmm. how, how is that? How does that even get discovered? Yeah, that's a great question. So sometimes if your client writes in, oh, for services or like last night or some kind of, there are certain keywords that get flagged, that can be an indication of like, okay, this may this may be from something that we don't allow on our platform. So I, I don't know exactly what keywords are banned, but sometimes if you're getting random payments here or there, 
that doesn't really add up that you don't always get sometimes that can be deemed as suspicious it's just like um if you're using your credit card and there's like a a purchase that maybe you didn't authorize or that was you know a lot more than what's in your usual kind of activity those are seen as flags. So I'm not sure if actual real people are flagging this or if it's just a robotic kind of algorithm or a keyword that they're looking for. But that's, um, those are considered flags. And that's why if you are using PayPal or Venmo as a way to receive payment, it's good to kind of notify your client. Be like, oh, just write something that's kind of neutral that won't cause any red flags to come up right mm-hmm. Good. yeah great question yeah we have another question too yeah, sure. Michelle. are there any um sex worker friendly payment processing services that you know of you know what virtually there are not a lot I unfortunately (laughs) there has been a lot of talk and a lot of sex workers have been moving to cryptocurrency like Bitcoin a lot of people are moving that direction but then not not everyone's moving that direction too like including myself because there's just not a lot of people that at least on the platforms that I am on they don't use that type of currency so it's hard to say what is safe and what isn't safe there is a long list I did an episode on that recently in this season about different payments that are safer but they're still risky still really quite risky um i think i think we mentioned there was like a mail in option if you had an alternative mailing address but that's really really old school and i don't think anyone would ever use that personally but I think the best practice here is to just really be careful and and try to gain a good relationship with whoever your clients are so you are putting in the right kind of verbiage in uh, the memos that are being sent to you. Or if you're doing anything in person, cash is kind of king as well. So it's really hard too because then sometimes these apps also reveal your real name and a lot of the times we will use aliases to protect our own identity as well so which is like another layer that you'd have to kind of be careful with so hopefully that answers the question yeah it does thank you anything else on the slide guys okay we're good okay cool we have a few minutes i think uh, left here so i wanted to kind of go into i think it's the last one yeah it's the last one so another kind of emerging area too in terms of issues is the issue of labor rights and where we kind of stand. And I feel like a lot of this pertains more more to more so for strippers. So uh, you'll hear maybe in the maybe in the news you might have heard something or if yeah on Vice they they usually write articles on this as well, um, but. We're finding that strippers are, are unionizing and we're gathering to fight for our labor, labor rights. And I mentioned earlier, in in most sex work, we're deemed as independent contractors. But there's also a fight, especially within the stripping community. Um, we want to kind of keep this independent contractor position. Or a lot of people are trying to maybe 
fight for unionization so we can have better working conditions. Um, again, fighting some of the the things that happen in strip clubs too in terms of like racism, um, wage theft, house fees. And basically, I'm not sure if anyone here is familiar with the difference between independent contracting and being an employee status. Um, and this also this is also applicable for any kind of job as well, not just sex work. But for employee status, you usually are, say, for example, you have to be at work between a certain amount of time. So example, nine to five, you have to take your break at a certain time, you get paid at a certain wage that you don't um, you don't set stuff like that uh, you have to wear like a uniform those are all things that you know might be deemed under a an employee status independent contractor you can set your own rates you can set your own hours you can get there whenever you'd like and you do your own taxes employees employee status um they can give you a form for when you do your taxes so for example uh an issue that's kind of occurring right now at least in the past few years in california we're seeing that strippers are now defined as employees of strip clubs which a lot of people seem to be very angry about um because for many many years for decades they've been deemed as independent contractors so we're wondering why there's a big sudden change on this in terms of definition and now we're seeing more and more people wanting to unionize to get better working conditions. Um, and I've mentioned here already, um, there's wage theft that can happen. There's, a, and when I say wage theft, there's like a number of, um, number of fees that get docked from our paychecks, whether it's drinks or, you know, promo material and stuff like that, um, that can get docked immediately from your pay. But sometimes, like, for example, for a colleague of mine, she was getting docked a number of dollars off of her paycheck and things that she never had. Like, she's like, oh, well, I didn't drink any drinks on these nights. And why am I getting docked pay on this? That um, house fees, if you don't know what house fees are, they're usually um, a set amount of money that you pay to the club for you to work there. And that that number kind of increases as the night goes on so the earlier you come the lower your house fee will be the later you come when the club is busy the higher house fees are going to be and some people find it's like really some of the house fees i mean it's more applicable in the u.s the house fees are pretty outrageous um and there's so many different kind of problematic business practices you know some clubs prefer certain races over other races and aren't as equal in that kind of way. So the aim here is to hopefully create a safe space and to promote a healthier working environment for, for workers. So that's just another kind of um, area that I wanted to shed to light because this is also happening for us here in Canada as well and in Europe. So yeah, just a couple other things there too. Were there any questions in regards to that? Did anyone know that we you, there are stripper unions <laughs> in North America? Unions? We're, we're getting a bunch of no's. Yeah. Yeah. Usually people don't really know about that. So, yeah. which is kind of a fun fact. But yeah, no, it's just like 
like we deserve better working conditions just like any other job too right so right awesome well that brings me to the end of this presentation i just wanted to see if there were any other outstanding questions i know there's 15 minutes left in class so Yeah, that's a completely subjective question. Um, personally, I have felt very safe in the strip clubs that I work in, in where, like, where I'm based in Canada. Uh, our bouncers are really great. Um, they really care for us. They're, they always have their eyes on the camera in our VIP booth, which is really great. Um, they also offer to walk me to my car at night when I'm leaving the club. Uh, they'll kick out anyone who's misbehaving within the blink of an eye. So personally, where I am from in the clubs that I dance in, I have always felt very, very safe and never threatened or never felt like there wasn't enough safety measures put in place. Um, in terms of your second part of your question, in terms of how do you know which clubs are safe? That's a good question because you don't really know until you go there. Um, I would say... I am a part of some sex worker groups and there's a lot of different chats and forums that where we can discuss like, hey, has anyone been here before? Um, have, I'm planning to go to this state to dance in. What was your experience there? And there is a lot of people, especially in the groups that I'm a part of, that offer and share their experiences and chime in and give real testimonials of their, their working experience. So, and I've definitely read some great reviews and also read some really bad reviews too so that can go with any working environment whether you're in sex work or not yeah definitely mm -hmm. thank you yeah how did you come up with their alias oh kimchi <laughs> <laughs> that's a good question well i'm actually not korean i'm actually filipino chinese because people are like oh are you korean is that why you like kimchi um no i was actually really inspired by rupaul's drag race <laughs> kimchi was my favorite <laughs> drag superstar in uh what was it season 10 so i kind of stole the name from there and also i really actually i really do like kimchi i make it a lot at home and it's good for you and it's spicy so <laughs> that's a real story Question? Well, I have a question, Steph. Yeah. Um, so next week we're going to be talking about relationships mm -hmm. and this class. And so it's, if you if you are comfortable sharing, how do you navigate romantic relationships while you're a sex worker? Oh my gosh, that's such a good question. Such a good question. Honestly, it was really difficult in the beginning, I would say, and for a long time. Dating was something I always really enjoyed until I started becoming out and I was open about me dancing and me being a sugar baby. Um, I remember having an experience with a person I was dating for a month and a half or 
some kind of short, <laughs> short-lived experience. And I was on uh, a reality show for a sugar baby show based here in Canada. And he had seen the video and just completely discounted anything, anything that we had built together. He was like, no, we don't have the same values. You're not the same person. So I was completely just pushed aside, which was really um, traumatizing for me, actually. And Alicia, I think I mentioned that to you in our episode. Um, and coming back from that was really, really difficult. And I went on a really long single streak. And it, it's it's difficult. I feel like I, with, I, I really struggled with um, me being a sex worker a lot, especially in my younger years. Um, and I've only really come to terms with it over the past two years where I really wear that on my sleeve. And it's it's been really tricky before because you're not going to have a lot of people that accept you or you won't have a lot of people that will accept the work that you do or they will accept it at face value or in the beginning. And then later on, when a problem arises, they'll use that as ammo to attack you so and that those are all based on my own personal experience which has been really tricky um my my current partner actually was one of my clients and he already knew what he was getting himself into he understood who i was what i do and we've just had an amazing understanding of that from the get-go and i think it's really important to kind of have the conversation uh sooner rather than later um, if you can and if you're comfortable with it. So I really think that communication is is really key in navigating any type of relationship. But when you're adding that other additional layer of being a sex worker and facing that stigmatization, um, it's important to kind of air out any kind of hesitancies or any kind of um, reservations you might have um, kind of right away. That's kind of my advice on that. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. Yes. Oh, um, the question is, how did our paths cross? Oh, um, <laughs> Alicia, do you want to share the story? <laughs> well, yeah, sure. <laughs> So, gosh, when, so summer of 2020, when this class um, usually would meet in person, but of course we were switched to the online format, I used that as an opportunity to get creative with our guest speakers. Um, and I just randomly reached out to her. We'd never spoken before. I'd listened to her podcast, but never spoken to her. And I was like, hey, I teach this class. It's on Zoom. Do you want to zoom in and, and share your story and answer some questions? And then we've interacted um, every semester, actually. She's been very gracious that I've taught this course to zoom in. Um, this is the first time that we have you guys in person and her on Zoom. <laughs> really, that's like a good thing that came out of the pandemic, um, learning how to use technology a little bit different for me anyways. Um, and then uh, Steph asked me to... Um, be a guest on her show from a mental health perspective. So from a therapist perspective, um, 
giving some advice on anxiety management and navigating relationships and, and things like that. Um, so that's kind of how, how we know each other. Mm-hmm. So, I never lived in Vancouver. <laughs> and I don't think, Seth, have you ever lived in Florida? I have not, but I've yet to come visit at some point. <laughs> when you are in the state, I will, I will find you. We will meet up. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and we still got to do part two because like we, <laughs> there was so much, so much ground to cover in our episode. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is, this is too much. <laughs> I'm looking forward to part two. Yes. We'll definitely chat about that. Absolutely. Um, yes, Ashley, what you got? Oh, do you see yourself doing sex work long term? Yeah, for as long as I can. And as long as I can resonate with this type of work, I, I really yeah. enjoy it. And especially with digital work it's something that to me like I've gotten into into a routine and now I find that work to be easy to me and also it's residual income so I would definitely like to at least continue doing that with stripping I definitely want to continue that for as long as I can and I know so many of my friends that have you know had families and they've come back working and stuff too I want to see how long I can do this because I really do truly enjoy dancing and I just love I love entertaining and being on stage. I think that's so fun. Um, as in terms of sugaring, I've I've long closed that door for quite a few years now. Um, it's not something I, I personally wanted to engage in anymore. Um, it was great for when I was younger. And then now with the relationship and everything, I, I'm not doing any type of in-person work anymore. So, yeah. But, yeah, I want to continue, continue working in sex work and um, – Continue the podcast for sure. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, okay. How do you avoid developing feelings for your clients? Oh, <laughs> that's a great question, actually. And <laughs> that can go in with next week's talk as well. Um, you know, it's really easy. It is really easy because I view it as a job and I've never never caught feelings for anybody except for my current boyfriend who is my client (laughs) and that was a gradual thing and that was both a mutual thing too but in terms of like being at the strip club it's so easy for me to disconnect I'm always like if I'm giving dances to someone I'm like thinking about what I'm gonna make for dinner and stuff like I'm (laughs) I'm I'm really treated as as a job right and having been in relationships with people in my office job before, like way back in the day, like I would never do that again. So I, I really try to be as professional as it can be. Um, and I really try to separate business and pleasure as much as I can. Thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Good question. Yeah. I think we might have time for one more question. Sure. Any, any last minute ones? Yeah. Oh, how do you learn how to dance for a strip club setting? Oh, yeah. This is a great question, too. Okay, so and I'll, I know that class is wrapping up soon, so I'll make it quick. But um, being a professional pole dancer as well, like competitively, pole dancing and strip club dancing are completely different. So being on stage, you are... A performer and you are an entertainer and you need to be able to connect with the audience 
Um, and I've seen some amazing pole dancers um, do amateur nights and they're doing all these crazy tricks and stuff and that's great. And I used to be that person too, doing all these crazy tricks. And honestly, in the audience, no one really cares about that stuff. It's really about how you connect, how you're um, interacting with people in your front row and stuff like that. Honestly, because we're on stage for, at least in Canada, 18 to 20 minutes, per set like just like four to five songs it can be really 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 tiring so doing pole tricks all the time is not really realistic it's not really something that real strippers do like yes we'll do that for certain shows or certain sets but honestly there's a lot of twerking and rolling on the floor <laughs> and it's really different than say when I'm competing on a um, professional like pole dancing stage it's a very different environment very different choreography um, when I'm dancing on stage, it's a lot of freestyle. So, yeah. Yeah, good. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes, that is. They asked if that was you in that picture. Yes, it is. That was me, um, like, two months ago. <laughs> yeah, that was her a few months ago. Yes. <laughs> you at one point teaching, um, like, virtual pole classes? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was. During the pandemic, I was teaching, like, a lot of floor work, sensual type movement classes. Um, we're not doing that right now, but I do teach in person as well. Okay, very good. Well, thank you so much for always being willing to come and talk to us. It's, it's always a great experience, and uh, I know everybody appreciated it. Got a lot out of it. You are so welcome. Thank you again for the invitation, and I hope everyone has a better understanding of sex work, at least for a little bit. And if you have any questions, feel free to reach out. Yes, absolutely. Thanks, Sam. Thanks Bye -bye. again. Bye. Bye. Listening to Strip by Sia, hosted, produced, and edited by Steph Sia, artwork by Maria Bellanzarama, music by Ted D, and photography by Ian Dabern.